0: Sometimes it can feel like big companies have all the advantages and they do have very real advantages, but their size also provides massive opportunities for smaller companies, especially if we know what those are. Stay tuned to hear what I think are some of the biggest ways we can use their size to our advantage. Running a service business can be hard. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So a couple months ago, I went to see a friend of mine who lives in a different state, and him and I used to work at the same national company I worked at for several years, and I went and just my wife and I went and hung out with his his wife and him, and and uh, we had a great time. And uh, he he still works at the same company I worked at for many, many years. And we didn't talk about work a lot, but, you know, things just come up in conversation. And after hearing, you know, the kinds of problems he's dealing with, and he's a high-level person in that company. And um, after hearing about the kinds of problems they're, you know, dealing with and, and the different kinds of things I, you know, know that as small business owners we deal with. I thought, you know, it's important for us to be aware of what these the differences are in how companies operate. The things that there's definitely benefits of of big companies, they have deeper pockets on things. You know, Just they have, they have deeper pockets. They have structure and they have tons of resources. And, you know, they, they're like the Borg, you know. <laughs> they just, they buy things and they assimilate and, and they become bigger and stronger. That's just, that's kind of how it works. But there's also very specific things that I think it's important that we remember that they can't do that we can. And those things are massive benefits for us, I think. So when I'm talking about big companies here, I'm talking about national companies, regional companies, even very large local companies. You know, in the, I live in the Phoenix area, and there's a, there's a company here, a, a service company, it's a, it's a plumbing company. They have like 600 vehicles. I mean, it's a massive company, even though it's just a, a local company, it's not, it's not regional, it's not nationwide. Um, the the sheer volume of the, the size of this company is staggering, you know. And again, they're gonna have some some real advantages, and they're gonna have because of that size, there's gonna be some real disadvantages. And even looking at the difference between a you know, 20 person company versus a 70 person company. There's very, there's significant things that the 70 person company will have advantages on, and there's things that the 20 person company will have advantages on. And I think it's just important that we are aware of these things because, you know, our whole purpose, our whole goal is to utilize the strengths we have to, to propel our business forward. And the strengths we have means that somebody else doesn't have those strengths. It's, it's pretty, it's, a, it's like a zero sum game almost, right? So I think it's just important that we know what those things are so we can focus on the things that will get us the most, ROI for our effort in time, money and energy. I think a mistake would be to try to emulate the company and do well what they do well. I don't think that would be as effective for us. I think it's better for us to focus on the things that we can do that they cannot because I think that's where our our, our competitive advantage comes from. So the first thing that I was reminded in this, you know, over multiple days talking to my friend was just the 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 amount of time it takes for them to do seemingly basic things. It can take them months or even years to do things we can do in days or weeks. We can be nimble and they cannot, right? We we have the advantage in speed, efficiency, and, and, you know, the, the effort and consensus it takes for them to get things done is off the charts compared to a small company. If we got to make a change, we've identified a problem we can make a change generally in a, in a few days or a couple of weeks. Maybe we made a we 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 you know a month or two on really big things, but they're you know relatively simple things take them a long time. So even by the time they recognize a course correction is necessary, by the time they get managers and VPs and presidents and like whatever involved board meetings in some cases, like whatever, by the time they get that stuff done, like. The urgency is gone or they're, or they're just, they're, you know, they're costing themselves money or whatever while they're going through that process. So we can do things quickly and therefore when we can, and when it makes sense, we should do things quickly, right? The next thing is they put much more financial or they put much more emphasis on avoiding financial risk while they're not as good as addressing at addressing personnel risks. So they put a ton of emphasis on avoiding financial risk. They're always working towards, this is something that's important for us to know that we, that we don't always know. And I had quite frankly forgotten this, but I was reminded in those big companies, they're always working towards the next sale of the company. In stocks, like their, their, their job is they're a publicly traded company or owned by a publicly traded company. Their job is to sell stock. Or if they're not even that, they're, they're, they're working towards selling the company to the next investment group. So this investment group bought it for $50 million, let's say, and they want to sell it for a hundred million dollars in five years. That's what they're working towards. So their emphasis is on very much on financial stuff. They're avoiding financial risk and maximizing things right now that put money to the bottom line. We'll get to that more in a second, but because they're, they're doing that. They, they, they will walk away from talent at lower levels because they deem it too expensive. So there's, there's talented people out there that would not be hired by these big companies because they don't, they're not willing to, they're not really interested honestly in spending money on, on good talent to lower levels. They believe rightfully so in most cases, their processes are good enough that they can hire people with a little less skill and get the same result because they had their, they have their processes so well ingrained and that's true in some cases, but that means that there's really talented people out there who want to make a little bit more money or want more opportunity, they can't get it there and they're available for us, which is fantastic. Also, because they're always working towards that next sale or they're working towards selling stock, they have to answer to shareholders or whatever. They cannot decide to forego or or uh, reduce profitability, even in the short term, to make changes that will pay off in the long run. They they want to make changes that will pay off in the long run, but they're not willing to, pay, to make less money, put less money to the bottom line, this month, this quarter, this year to do that. Their key driver, their bonuses is always based off of right now, this month, this quarter, this year, always. That's for, you know, general managers, branch managers, vice presidents, regional managers, presidents, CEOs, like it doesn't matter. Their key driver is their bonuses, which is always based off of what's happening right now, this month, this quarter, this year. It, I don't know if, if a time where it really goes beyond that other than they get they get stock, which appreciates in value. like if you get you know 100 shares of stock is a bonus and it's worth you know 500 dollars a share next year versus four to 50 to a share this year, like you can make more money that way. But the key driver is the bonuses, right and, and the, the payout that they will get when the company sells. So everything that has to happen that requires an investment, the customer has to pay for. So it's expensive for the customer. So even though I don't like to talk about pricing on here a lot, because I don't, I think we too much get focused on pricing as being the reason people should make decisions with us or the reason they do, which we don't like. I don't like to get hung up on price here, but in this instance, they are more expensive because they have deeper pockets. There's more peace of mind for the, for the customer, because if something goes wrong, the bigger company can absorb that. The small company might, might go out of business. And as far as, you know, the customer's perspective, but these kinds of things, any, anything that they want to do, that's going to, you know, be an investment of money to make more money later, the customer has to pay for right now. Another thing is talented people. It's really hard for them to stand out and, and not feel stifled in those companies. The president of the company is only going to know a couple of, let's say it's a nationwide company and they have, you know, 40 branches, let's say the president of that company is only going to know a couple of people from each branch. Probably the GM and the top salesperson. And that's it. They, they might not, they, they might know three or four, if it's a big branch that they go or if it's a local, you know, if they, if they office out of Nashville, let's say, and that's the local branch where their office is they're but they're the president for the company nationally, or that's the closest branch. That's where they go a lot. They might know a few more people, but if you're in an outlier, you know, if the, if the, if the corporate office is in Nashville and, and you're in, you know, Tucson and they go there once every three years, they're not going to know anybody. And so people, it's hard for them to stand out. It's hard for them to feel like they matter. It's hard for them to, to feel like they're appreciated or contribute in any kind of meaningful way. It does kind of feel, and it's where kind of we get to the the culture kind of feels like we're just a number. Well, that's because you are. <laughs> in, in, in some, and now to the local people, it's not that way so much, but for the company, like there's there's only so much time that they can invest to get to know people and things like that. You can't expect a president a company to, to know 5,000 employees, you know, first name basis. I, I know there's ex, ex, um, examples where that happens. I don't think that's reality to to think that that would happen broadly, frequently. And the culture, it, because of that, it does create this kind of dog eat dog environment where people just stand out. They'll do things that are not things that we wish people do. There there, you know, there's backbiting, there's gossiping, there's things to hurt a perceived rival's reputation, <laughs> Those kinds of things do happen in the corporate world because it's just people are trying to stand out. And in a smaller company where the culture is at least as attractive as all the other things that are attractive about the company, that kind of stuff is just not accepted. You know, the the people in the culture don't like that stuff. So people who generally come with those kinds of habits generally find themselves going back to work in the corporate world where that's kind of it doesn't stand out as much. Because the higher level people who make the key decisions don't really know or interact with the folks, oftentimes they're out of touch with reality with their frontline employees. I'll tell you that you know, back when I was um, early twenties, this is before even I got into a supervisory role. I worked out in the in the warehouse and in, in this job. It was a you know regional company, nationwide now, but it was regional then. And they decided they were going to get on board with a mission, vision, and values thing. And I never heard about that. I didn't really know what it meant. I was you know, young in my career. And they rolled it out. But they rolled it out from the perspective of like what the executives thought it should be. And they really didn't consider what the frontline employees thought. They really didn't value their opinion, honestly. They expected them to buy into these things without really asking them. Um, or, or if they did ask, it was kind of like, yeah, well, that's great for grief. Thanks for the input, but here's what we're thinking instead, you know, that kind of thing. And they really didn't address the things that the frontline employees cared about, honestly. Uh, so they ended up with this, this mission and vision and values thing that was just kind of a hokey. Um, it did the opposite of what they wanted. Like people resented it more than embraced it for sure, because it was just, it was just clear that it wasn't meant for them. Those kinds of things can happen when people in executive levels are making decisions and they don't frankly consider or value the input from the frontline employees. Where I think at small businesses, this is one of the things we had the most opportunity with is we can get buy-in from people because we will ask them their opinion. We do value what they think. We do recognize that in in many cases, they're better at the thing that we're trying to make decisions on than we are because they're doing the thing every day. In corporations, it's different, Uh, you know, and even big companies, it's different. There's people at higher levels of the hierarchy on the organizational chart just begin, in my opinion, to, they can begin to overvalue their own opinion on things and diminish the value of other people. And I think this is one of those areas that we absolutely can create a team of people who are seeking refuge from that, embrace their ideas, you know, get them involved, get participation. And this is where we end up with employees who want to do the right thing when nobody's looking rather than have to be forced to do the right thing when nobody's looking. I think this is one of the ways we can get that. The biggest thing I think that of all of the things I'm going through here today, I think the biggest one, the biggest thing that stood out to me in my conversation with my friend is there's a point in time when organizations get big enough and it doesn't matter what the organization is. It could be a nonprofit. It could be a company. It could be a church. It could be a government. It doesn't matter. Entities get to a size where they need conformity over improvement in ingenuity. They have to have everybody do the same thing to keep things together. They can't even allow improvement. They can't allow ingenuity in some cases because the, the priority has to be conformity. And I don't mean this like they're evil people choosing to do this. I mean, when a company gets to a certain size or an entity gets to a certain size, you have to have processes and procedures. You have to have you have to ensure that the customer is getting the same experience every time. So you have to have that improve, or that, I'm sorry, that that conformity. And I agree with that. That even in small companies, we want to have the people have the same experience all the time. But we 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 lose it when the company gets to a certain size. Is if somebody does recognize there's a way to improve it, those are pushed back or dismissed. Or in a smaller company, we can we can listen to Johnny, our technician, say, "Hey, I heard about or stumbled upon this better way to do this thing. What do you think?" And again, going back to this, the speed and efficiency thing, and embracing improvement over conformity, we can say, "Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Let's bring a couple of your peers together and like sort through, make sure we're not missing anything." And a week later, that's just how we do it. That is not possible in a big company. In a big company, it has to go through layers of of decision makers and vetting and like, well, is it really that big of a deal? We've always done it this way. We should just keep doing it that way. It's cheaper and easier for us just to keep doing it. And, and that's, again, it's not because they're bad people. It's just because when a, when an entity gets to a certain size, you have to change your priorities. And this is one of the major ways is, is requiring conformity over improvement. And there are certain things that, you know, like I've given you examples before accident prevention. I don't care how small my company is. If I have one employee and I know that we're, We do a thing that could get somebody killed. I'm going to expect conformity on that 100% of the time. I don't care what their opinion is on that stuff, right? So I get that we have, even small companies, we're going to have these things that we need conformity. What I'm saying is, as the company gets to a much larger size, at a certain point, the percentage of things that we will seek input on and how we can improve diminishes dramatically unless there's a tremendous amount of effort from top-level management to ensure that that still happens. And quite frankly, that doesn't happen very often you've seen in the you know japanese culture companies still embrace this because it saved their country saved their entire economy after world war II. They're especially the auto manufacturers they lived this decisions made it at the lowest possible level they 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 allowed their lowest level frontline assembly line people to have dramatic input on how to get better and that's why they were kicking our ass in the, in the early 80s in sf because they were doing that stuff and we were about conformity so None of these things are absolutes. Some companies are better at these things than others. There's very large companies who have fantastic cultures, don't have any of the problems I talked about. I'm not saying that this is 100% across the board, that there's no exceptions. What I'm saying is, generally speaking, these are the kinds of things that I think we have advantages on, and these are the kind of things that I would recommend based on my experience and what, what helped my company grow was dialing into these things that we had very distinct advantages. So we were better than the company smaller than us on conformity and things like that, but we are better than the company bigger than us on improvement. Right. So again, I just my my thought is to let's focus on where we can beat them rather than trying to become them. Right. As the company grows, we will have no choice but to become more conformist. That's just we won't have a choice on. We don't have to focus on doing that. It's going to happen, whether you like it or not. We don't need to worry about that. We must take the time and and leverage what we have, which is speed and efficiency they're rigid and require compliance we can through training education create a place where employees can be creative and help us find a way to make the company better and more efficient we can make planned adjustments on profitability for just short periods of time we can say hey we're gonna make a little bit less money for next few months because we're gonna do this thing that next year is gonna start just like blowing our doors off those are things that we can do quickly and because we can say hey it's okay i'll make i'll put you know $50,000 Fifty thousand dollars less in profit for the next few months to pay for this thing that's going to pay dividends, huge dividends over the next few years. That's something we can do that they would have a hard time doing. We can get better talent because we have a better culture. We we are not out of touch with our employees the way that they can be. Our employees don't have to be just a number with us, and people can shine with us in a way that they cannot with those bigger companies. So these are things that I think we can do to make to make uh, so we have a competitive advantage against these seeming monsters that can just like dominate an area in a particular industry and it can feel frustrating and overwhelming. And, and, uh, um, my experience is if we can use the, the, the things we have in our corner, um, well, we can overcome those things. And then some, so anyhow, if you find the information I share here helpful, please share this podcast with a friend or colleague you think could benefit from. We all know that as business owners, there's a ton of stuff going on. We feel frustrated. I don't understand processes. I got personnel issues. I wish I understood my financials better. Please share this podcast with a friend or colleague who you think can benefit from. It's free to, for you to do that. And you never know how you might might change somebody's life by giving them a little bit of information that make their life easier. Of course, public sharing is also appreciated. But if you'd send this to a friend or colleague, if you think you can they can benefit from that, I would really appreciate that. And you'll feel good about yourself. So there's two reasons to do it. That's it for this week. And I'll talk to you all next week.